If you would, take your Bible and open to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Yeah. Cinco. Yeah. Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy Cinco, Maria. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Uno, dos, tres, cuatro. 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 Yeah. Close enough. Yeah. The rest you didn't know what we were talking about anyway. Hey, as we get started, I want to give all the credit for today's lesson to Dr. Josh Mulhill. I am working through this book called Biblical Grandparenting. It's a wonderful study for most of you in this room. How many of you are grandparents? Okay, most everybody is, and the rest want to be. But uh, this is a wonderful look at what it means biblically to be a grandparent. And I just started a few weeks ago as a nighttime read, and I'm really enjoying it. And as Pastor John asked me to fill in today, I just wanted to share with you what he had to say in his book. It's really, really good. And um, so uh, thank you, Dr. Mulhill, for your credit to this lesson today, okay? So uh, with that, let's begin. Um, in the book, he references a Barna research study that was done for young people, you know, young teenagers, young adults. The question was, it, this is not a microphone. No, this is a recording microphone. I'll try to speak up a little bit better, okay? All right. <clears throat> so uh, I apologize. I've got some stuff going on. But anyway, a Barna study was done asking young adults the top five influencers in their lives. Who are the top five influencers in a young adult's life? Number one was parents. Number two was other family members, namely grandparents. Third influencer was teachers or coaches. Fourth was friends. And last but not least was pastors or religious leaders. These are the top five influencers upon young adults and teenagers. And the question being, why are these people the top influencers in their lives? Number one is because these people, to these young adults, teenagers, these people are worthy of imitation. They're, they want to follow in their footsteps. They, they always are there for them, and they're interested in the teen's future. So these are some of the reasons why you as a grandparent are very, very important in the lives of the young children in your lives. I would venture to say you as a senior adult, a, a mature adult, also have influence not only with your family, young adult teenagers, but also with the teenagers and young adults that you have influence with through church, your neighborhood, and your social circles. Uh, you are not forgotten. You are still needed as gray-haired saints. You have a valuable role to play in life. I'm getting there. I got a lot of gray on my chin now, and it's coming here over the years. So I'm one of you. I also have just gotten my fifth grandchild. So to God be the glory. I'm grateful for Abigail. She came six weeks ago yesterday, and so we're excited about her. And so I'm reading this book because my grandchildren are from six years old to six weeks old, 
And so I'm really kind of new to the game of being a grandparent relative to some of you. And I want to do it well. I, I want to be a good pop-pop. That's what they call me. And so um, here's the question. Because the number one reason that teenagers look up to you as grandparents is because you're worthy of imitation. They see you. They see your lifestyle. They see how you act, how you talk, how you behave. And they like what they see, and they want to be just like you. The question is this. Do you want your grandchildren to follow Christ? Then develop a strong relationship with them. If you ultimately, as a grandparent, your greatest and most important job is to lead your children and your children's children to Christ. So the life that you live is going to be an example to them, whether they want to or not, because you are very, very influential in their decision if they're going to follow Jesus or not. I know for me, with my grandparents, I called mine Granny and Grandpa Phillips on my mom's side and Granny and Grandpa Green on my dad's side. Granny and Grandpa Phillips were Christians. Granny and Grandpa Green, not so much. And so I saw two different relations. I loved them both. And, but I knew Granny and Grandpa Green would be singing these sweet little songs like this while Granny and Grandpa Phillips would be singing these Christian songs and these hymns driving down the road with me. I, I went to church with them. I watched them worship. It was every Saturday night going to a Saturday night singing at somebody else's church. I grew up with Saturday night singings because at a different church, one would do one on first Saturday night, such and such church would do a second Saturday night singing and so on. They had somewhere to go. Miss Cl- time can you lead our singing? <laughs> <laughs> I could. I have this secret dream that it's not going to be secret in about 10 seconds. But because I grew up with Southern Gospel and going to all these singings as a kid, I've always wanted to be in a Southern Gospel group. I would love to sing in a good quartet. And uh, so uh, never been asked, so I don't know, maybe a reason why. But I do love to sing because of my grandparents' influence in my life. But anyway, when it talks about being a grandparent, every family member has a role. Mom has a role to nurture and raise their children. Dads have a role to be a provider and a protector. Children have a role in the family, too, growing up. Each child has a role in their family. Like a team, every team member on a team is important and has a role to play. And so you as a grandparent, you still have a vital role to play with your family. And the Bible addresses grandparenting while not necessarily always using the words grandfather or grandmother. Very few times it says those words exactly, but you'll see it in descriptions of words like children's children, referring to your father's father or God of our fathers or your son's sons or simply old age or forefathers. There's all kind of mentioned throughout the Old Testament in particular about this multi-generational relationship with one generation to another making Christ known. Now, biblically, there's a viewpoint we're going to look at in just a second, but let's talk about American grandparents. The American ideal of what a grandparent is 
may not necessarily line up with what the Bible calls us to do. In American grandparenting, there is this ideal that says, when I get my kids raised, when my kids get married, or when they move out, I step into a non-interference role. I'm just going to stay out of their business. They're going to raise their kids without my interference or my help at all. If they ask me, I'll say something, but otherwise, I'm stepping back. I've done my job. There's also this American idea that emotional independence from kids as well, just separation emotionally, just breaking those ties. I've done my job. I'm wore out. I don't want to do this anymore. And this idea of personal autonomy, of just staying independent, but instead, we as grandparents in America, have we feel like we've been re relented to the role of just a playmate or a companion. Now, being a playmate and being a companion is an important role to play, but it's not exclusively just to be the babysitter for your grandchildren, and that's it. So it comes down to uh, we as older adults with our kids out of the house, we have American grandparents have this idea of living independently and self-indulgent, spending my kids' inheritance on myself. You know, that's a joke. <laughs> you know, there's that joke. I'm, I'm spending my kids' inheritance while I'm on my way to my cruise to Jamaica or driving the new sports car, you know, whatever it may be. All well and good to a certain degree, but the Bible does address what is a a biblical view of American uh, grandparents. God's design for an older adult is like to be warriors like Caleb and Joshua. These Caleb and Joshua were older men. They were in their 80s when they took the promised land. They were warriors taking over land and peoples. King David was an old man. He, he, he was um, called to be a king at a young age, but he was still a king in his old age. For older adults, there was Moses. There were Isaiah and Jeremiah. They were prophets in their old age. And there were women and men that were just simply godly, like Noah and Lois. There was old men like John who served as an apostle. So there's nowhere in the Bible that says that we as older adults just sit back, relax, and let somebody else do the work. It's not biblical. Show me anywhere in the Bible where it says that we as adults are, are set apart to retire, sit on our duff, watch TV all day, draw our check, and let somebody else take care of us. Now, if you're physically incapable of taking care of yourself, then the role changes as it should to where the younger are caring for the elderly. And that's a very biblical thing. But if you are able-bodied, still have your right mind and physically sound, get after it. Get after it and live life to its fullest, serving the living God in some capacity. Now, your pace may be a little slower. That's fine. But there's still work for you to do in God's kingdom. And your most important job is to be a godly grandparent to your grandchildren. We want to see 
every child's grandchildren come to faith in Christ. So I want to give you five biblical themes for grandparenting based upon this book. Five biblical themes for grandparents. Number one, a heritage of faith. A heritage of faith. Look with me in Psalm 78. I know I told you Deuteronomy 4. Keep your finger there. But Psalm 78, turn there with me also. Psalm 78, verses 1 through 8. I'm going to read it from the New American Standard Version, what I've got. Psalm 78, verses 1 through 8, it says this. Listen, O my people, to my instruction. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which have heard and known our fathers have told us. Notice this now. Start listening for the words fathers. Our fathers told us this. Verse 4, we will not conceal them from their children, but tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wondrous works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should teach them to their children that the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born, that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare its heart and whose spirit was not faithful to God. And over in Deuteronomy chapter 4, where you started out at, verse 9 says this. Deuteronomy 4, 9. Moses is speaking here in this, in this chapter listed here. As Moses is preparing to release the people to go over to the land of Jordan, uh, at Jordan to the land of Israel, the promised land, he's giving instructions for them as a people and as a nation. I really would like you to read the entire chapter in your own time. And uh, it's really a wonderful chapter to the role of generationally passionate on the gospel. But it says there in Deuteronomy 4, 9, Only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently, so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen, and that do not depart from your heart all the days of your life, but make them known to your sons and your grandsons. Backing up to verse 6, as Moses is describing the Jewish people coming out of the bondage of Egypt, God has chosen them to become a nation, them being after uh, 40 years in the wilderness on the threshold of entering into their land. He says this in verse 6. So keep and do them, talking about the commandments of God, the Ten Commandments. He says, so keep and do them, for that is your wisdom and your understanding. It's not your wisdom and understanding that you want to pass on to your kids. It's godly, biblical wisdom and understanding that you're going to pass down. Not what you know, but what God knows. And he says this, In the sight of the people who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely 
This great nation is a wise and understanding people. God is pronouncing through Moses that the nation of Israel, that's really not even much of a nation yet, he's calling them a nation, and he's saying they are going to be a wise and understanding people. Verse 7, For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God whenever we call on him? And so back to verse 9 that I read just a second ago, not only as a people group, an entire nation should seek after the heart of God and God's wisdom to live according to God's way, but Moses is telling every individual now in verse 9, notice how many times the personal pronoun is used, you or your, your. Your sounds kind of southern, doesn't it? I circled it. Let's um, read it again. So only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen and they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life, but make them known to your sons and your grandsons. Moses is telling the people, we are a nation, but a nation is only going to be as good as you individually are in your walk with the Lord God of Israel. So to be a great nation, we've got to be made up of great people serving a great God. So it's dependent upon you to take up your role and your mantle and your responsibility to nurture the goodness and the knowledge and the making known of Christ to the next generation. And so that's a very important thing. It's called this heritage of faith. Also in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, you'll flip a couple of pages over. Let's read that. Deuteronomy 6, 1 and 2 says this, Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it, so that you and your sons and your grandsons might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I commanded you all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. So again, the command is given to make sure that you are telling the word of God, not only for your own soul, but for your children and your grandchildren. So I could share more scripture about that, but let's move on um, to my next note here. The second uh, principle for godly parenting is an inheritance, number two. The first was a heritage of faith, but also, number two, an inheritance. Look in Proverbs 13, 22. Proverbs 13, 22. A small, simple verse here. It says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of his sinners is stored up for the righteous. Proverbs 19, verse 14 also says this, Houses and wealth are inherited from fathers. So we want to leave for our, parent, our, our grandchildren biblically. We, if we're able, we want to leave them 
an inheritance financially as much as you're able to leave something for them and something that's reasonable, I guess, whatever you're able to do. But also, just as important as a financial inheritance, you want to leave a good name. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 1 says a good name is better than fine perfume. Ecclesiastes 7 1, a good name is better than fine perfume. I know growing up, all I know is my personal experience from my grandparents that I love dearly. But I can remember on the Phillips side, I heard it quite a bit about you know, you're carrying the Phillips name. You better treat it right, you know, because my last name is Greenbit, but on my mother's side, it was Phillips. And so I also had an understanding that I was carrying their name, but I also understood that they had nurtured a good reputation. They didn't want to see it marred by their grandson, And so they instilled that in me, and it also instilled in me an appreciation for my heritage, for my lineage of who I came from, that I I could be proud of my family. I was happy, and I felt an honor and a duty as a grandchild to, to maintain my own reputation and to have a good name for their sake. And then now I also want to give it to my children. And so it's important that we as grandparents maintain a reputation that our children can be proud of. And um, speaking of that, uh, being in ministry most of my life, I don't plan on leaving a whole lot of money to my kids. You know, they'll get what's left over after I've used it, but it's theirs. Yeah. And so God has been good to us. But there's one thing as we were looking at an inheritance or what you're going to leave for the next generation. Uh, I want to make sure to, oh yeah, I'm going to speak to this other thing in just a second. So let me hang on. So you want to leave that. And number three, another biblical principle about grandparenting is just an understanding. This is so simple that there is the gift of grandchildren, that grandchildren are a gift, just a blessing. Are they not? I mean, I remember as a teenager hearing these older adults pop out their wallet, showing pictures of their grandchildren, you know, and now you just get your phone out and you show pictures. We're so proud of, I understand now, now that I am one, why we recognize that they're a gift. Psalm 128 verses 5 and 6 says this, May the Lord bless you from Zion, that you may see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life, that you may see your children's children. If you could be so blessed to live long enough to see your children have children, what a blessing that is. And so I I know I'm young and probably the youngest, well, not the youngest guy in the room right now, But relatively speaking, at 57 years of age, all four of my children are married now. I'm an empty nester. We're blessed to have grandchildren. I really feel like a very old soul. I am so content. My heart is overflowing that I feel like I've lived a full and blessed life 
to have reached this point, even at 57, to see grandchildren, to see my children thriving and having prosperous families and healthy. I, I, I'm, just, I'm just blessed. I'm just thankful to the goodness of the Lord to let me live this long to see this. And I know that I am because uh, a dear friend I went to high school with, Rodney Ogle, just passed away Monday from ALS, a guy that I went to high school with, same age as me, did not live long enough to see grandchildren. And so it's not something we should take for granted. But so it, children are a gift from the Lord. Proverbs 17, verse 6 says this, Grandchildren are the crown of the aged. Grandchildren are the crown of the aged. And we recognize this. We can see how a couple of examples from the Bible where uh, I know I've preached on this before. And I think I've shared it in here before a lesson before about Jacob in his old age blessing Joseph and his sons. And he called them his sons. And he wanted to give one last blessing over his grandchildren before he passed away. And also there's in Ruth chapter 4, when Ruth, uh, when Naomi took her grandchildren and her knees and just enjoyed and blessed her grandchildren to finally get to see them. So there is a desire for us to affectionately love and dode over our grandchildren. And number four is honor grandparents. We should biblically honor our grandparents. It says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, Exodus 20, verse 12, it says this, Honor your father and mother so that your days may belong in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And so when it says honor your father and mother, it's speaking to you as a parent and also the role of a grandparent. Just like when the Bible talks about fathers, and it's not talking about just the father who biologically birthed you, but your generational, your grandparents. You, know, you should honor them as best you can, that it may be well with you. Deuteronomy chapter 21 also speaks to this. Deuteronomy 21 verses 18 through 20, talking about how sternly the Bible addresses a terrible child not willing to take care of his child, uh, father. He says this, if a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey his father and mother and does not listen to them when disciplined, his father and mother are to lay hold of him and bring him into the elders of his city to the gate of his hometown and say to the elders, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He does not obey us. He is a glutton and a drunkard. And then it allows him, I didn't print it, it goes on to say they will stone that son to death. That communicates a message to the community that you better fly right with your family. You better take care of your mom and your daddy and your grandparents. Don't be so self-indulgent into alcoholism and laziness and gluttonous and self-centered. If your mom and daddy brought you to this earth, take care of them. They are wise, understanding. Honor them as they should be honored. The fifth thing that I want to share with you today is uh, generational, I mean, uh, about grandparenting is the sins of the fathers. Now, the book gives 10 principles for grandparenting, but I'm going to stop at five. The sins of the fathers. 
Look in 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 41. 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 41. Second Kings 17, verse 41. I love it when I re- listen to an audio Bible and they say, two kings. <laughs> two kings, uh, verse chapter 17. Uh, verse 41. 41. 41, yeah. Now... 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 41. And then if you've got that, you can go ahead and hold your finger there and go to Psalm 103, verse 17. Psalm 103, verse 17. Now, this last point that we're going to make today about grandparenting is a lesson that we share in our Families Count class. Everybody know what Families Count is now in our church? Families Count is a six-week biblically-based parenting class that we offer twice a year, sometimes three, three times a year, to mamas and daddies who have lost their kids to foster care or are at risk of losing their kids to foster care. DHR will refer mamas and daddies to us to, to come to church, take this free class to learn about parenting. And one of the lessons is about the generational cycle of sin. There is a biblical thing called the generational cycles of sin. And what one generation does, the other one will do. And so that is a warning to us as parents and grandparents. And 2 Kings chapter 17 says this, But they would not listen, and they persisted in their former customs, so these nations worship the Lord, but also serve their idols. And to this day, their children and grandchildren continue to do as their fathers did. And this is an example of what they did in this passage here. They, they followed after the, uh, the, gods of, the false gods of other nations. They adopted the worship of these false gods. They didn't give it up. Psalm 103, verse 17 says, But the love of the Lord remains forever. With those who fear him, his salvation extends to the children's children. And finally, back in Deuteronomy chapter 4 again, verse 40. Moses said this to the people. If you obey all the decrees and commands I am giving you today, all will be well with you and your children. I am giving you these instructions so that you will enjoy a long life in the land the Lord your God has given you for all time. When we think about the sins of the fathers, I did not understand this principle until I became a young adult. You know, when you're a kid growing up, all you know is your home and your house. You're not aware of the life that your mom and daddy lived before they had kids. You know, when we were a kid, we don't remember mom and daddy used to be teenagers. You know, mom and daddy once had a different life before they got kids. And then mom and daddy's parents, our grandparents, also were at one time 
young adults and teenagers, they also lived sometimes a wild and crazy life. We can't imagine that now, can we? We can't imagine that our grandmother or grandfather with their cane or in a wheelchair or their gray-haired bodies used to live it up and maybe and were wild and riotous, and, and we don't know that. But there were a time that we all have a choice to make to follow God in our youth. And the lifestyle that you choose to live as a young adult will be passed down to your children and your children's children. And so for me personally, I know I share this story in Families Count, which is always, I love to see their faces because a lot of times our moms and dads that come to this class, they're in drugs and alcohol, making poor choices and bad decisions in life, and they're struggling, and they need Jesus. And I, I, it's hard for me to get away from Dina being the church lady and me just being the choir boy, just... I just come across like this goody two-shoes. You know, I, I feel like I, I, I just, I do sometimes. I can't help it. But when I tell my story to these moms and dads about this generational cycle of sin, that it wasn't always the case. I, I, God allowed a change in my life because as I got to be an adult, I learned that my grandmother was raped when she was a teenager and have one of my aunts through rape. And that sexual immorality before marriage was existed among my mother's side of the family. And then on my dad's side of the family, there was lots and lots of drugs and alcohol abuse. My daddy was an alcoholic. My grandfather, Grandpa Green, was an alcoholic. And several of their children were just rowdy East Walker County uh, people. And so I grew up with that. I didn't know some of this. I just loved my grandparents. I didn't know that there was in my DNA a tendency towards alcohol and in my DNA a tendency towards sexual promiscuity. But as I begin to grow up, and I, I, my, the first time I took Dina to my Grandpa Green's house, it was Christmas and we're sitting down to the dinner table at Grandpa and Granny Green's house there in Summerton. They were poor. They didn't have much. They were clean, but they were poor. And we sat down to eat, and Uncle Marvin comes in, drunk as all get out, comes in to see his mom and daddy, and he's a grown man on his knees, just loving on his mother, just drunk. And he comes over, staggering over to my side of the dinner table, saying hey to Scotty. And, well, who's this you got with you, Scotty? You know, just going on about Dina. He finally leaves, and I says, welcome to the family. You know, <laughs> you know this is who I am. This is what I've inherited. There was an inheritance spiritually and sinfully a tendency to alcoholism. And I saw this at an early age. And it wasn't until I was a little bit older I began to understand the promiscuity on the other side. The promiscuity on the other side, too. I don't, our family has our junk. And I can say this because I'm normal like everybody else in the room. But Jesus, as he says in the New Testament, there's a verse that says, and it's not in my notes here, and we share this with him in Families Count, that 
cursed is the one who dies on a tree that breaks the curse of sin. He's talking about Jesus is the curse breaker. Because Jesus came, he came to break the curse of sin. Jesus came to break these generational cycles of sin. And so, as a young age, when I was a young boy, I gave my life to Jesus, and I've never had a drink of alcohol in my life, to God be the glory. For two reasons. One, because I saw what it would do to me. I probably would love it. And then Jesus gave me no desire for it. I just never had a desire for it. Even with the peer pressure as a teenager, or young adult, I'm like, I don't care. I don't want it. I don't need it. I got Jesus. I don't need alcohol. I don't need drugs. And so Jesus broke the curse of sin for that in my life. Jesus also broke the curse of sin of, of sexual promiscuity. Just like we want to give the inheritance to our children. When I learned about this, I shared with my teenage kids, as each one of them I had private conversations about dating. And I would tell them, hey, your relatives on your mom's side, I know, were having sex before marriage. But your mom and I made a decision before we got married and before we were dating, we were not going to have sex before marriage. We wanted to honor God with our bodies. We chose, and I told my kids, we made a decision that this generational sin will stop with the generation before me. And I can take you back to the night that Dean and I learned this principle and we cried out to Jesus in prayer together as we were dating and said, Dear Lord Jesus, break this cycle of sin, of alcoholism and drugs and promiscuity. Break it from our generation going forward. And we told our grandchildren, my, my children this, we told them that we had willfully made this decision. And it was fire for them, kind of like that reputation that, that also we want to pass down. And we could tell our kids, hey, your mom and dad did not have sex before marriage. We don't want you to either. We're breaking this cycle. And to God be the glory, they've all married off, to my knowledge, <laughs> without having sex before marriage. We're two generations in now on creating a new cycle of godliness in our children. And we're praying this for my grandchildren now. So you can create a heritage for your children that you want if you start with prayer and giving it to the Lord. I want you to know this, that your grandkids are watching your lives. Your grandkids are looking at you and examining closely when they visit with you what you do, what you say, how you say, and what you're doing with your time. They're watching you. Can you not remember growing up with your grandparents? I remember studying and sitting down with Granny Green. Granny Green was hunched over. She was about maybe this tall, um, uh, a good four and a half feet tall, and she had severe back scoliosis. You could put a coffee cup on her back. Her back was so bent over, and she would walk like this. That's how hunched over she was. I never knew anything different with Granny Green, and she had these small, skinny, wrinkled hands. And I used to just love to sit with my granny and just hold her hands. 
I would hold my granny's hands and just study the wrinkles and and just it's just fascinating. I, I was intent on. I, I didn't think to myself anything other than this is my granny. She's unique, and she would also pick up the plastic. I mean the plastic cup and spit her top snuff into it. Yeah, yeah. And have a little bit of a drip right there on the corner. Yeah. And so I used to sit with my Grandpa Green and roll cigarettes. I would help him do that. And so I picked up some great habits, you know. And, uh, but, I, but my point being, and then with Grandpa Phillips, Grandpa, Grandpa Phillips kept a garden. If there was... A, a spot of ground, he was planting it. And so we lived on the same property with my mother's side of the family, the grandparents. And so I was with Grandpa Phillips all the time in the garden. And I would walk, when they talk about walking in the steps of Jesus, you know, walk you know, like a rabbi step, that little saying, I would walk in Grandpa, literally, when he would walk in the garden, I would take the step he just left. I would follow in his footsteps, walking through the garden, helping him in the garden, just, just being, and I was intent as a young a child, watching, observing, picking up habits, like when you were in the garden, when you kind of blow your nose, you just, you know, you know, good habits, bad habits, right? You know, so y'all did the same thing, didn't you? But, but I remember my grandparents on my mother's side singing gospel hymns, driving down the road, riding with them, and Granny would just weave the whole time she's singing. <laughs> the whole time she gets to un focused on singing to the Lord, she'd start weaving. I'd be holding on to the door, like, oh, let, let's get there. And just wonderful memory. I remember my Grandpa Phillips shouting during church. Just when God get a hold of him during worship, he'd just lift his hands and just shout to the Lord praises during a worship service. Those are the kind of memories that, that, that gets your heart. And so a lot of good, a lot of bad, but those things shape me just like your grandparents shaped you. And so the question is today, I want to encourage you, get after it with your kids. Enjoy them. Yes, spoil them, but based upon what we read, you have got to be intentionally telling your children about what you personally have seen and heard of the Lord your God. Don't just assume they're going to know it. You have got to personally sit down with your child, make him a cookie, and sit down with a cup of milk and say, listen, sweetie, I got some stories I want to tell you. I want to tell you about what God has done in my life. Tell the story of how you got saved. Tell the story of who you were before Christ and how Christ radically saved your soul. Write journals and leave notes to your children one day of your story. But find ways creatively to be engaged and leave this legacy that their kids will know of what God has done in your life. They won't know till you tell them. You don't assume they're going to wait and ask you. You're going to have to be proactive and tell them of the goodness of God in your life. Now, granted, they may roll their eyes. Oh, no, here. They're going to tell me that story again. Yeah. But you just tell them, okay? You got to tell them. 
Because if you don't, who will? How sad it would be if the goodness of God in your life goes to the grave with you, with your kids and your grandkids, never having heard of the goodness of God in your life and what he's done. Don't let that happen. Tell them why you can, okay? Would you do that? And then while you're at it, serve as best you can your grandchildren. I know there's babysitting, but also in the church. I know there's a tendency in church life, well, I'm not going to work in the nursery or help with child care or to help in Sunday school. I did my time. Let the younger ones do it. That is wrong. It's not from God. If you're able, you should be serving. Because if you are able and you're going to give it up to the next generation to let somebody else do it, thinking, i done my time so that you can come to Sunday school again and hear another Sunday school lesson that you've heard before, how much Sunday school knowledge do you need before you go serve God? Now, I'm preaching to the choir, and I'm getting on your toes now. <laughs> but I want you to say to me, yes, God, I will serve. It might just be one Sunday a month. It might be one Sunday every six weeks. But I can at least greet the families coming in. Or I can at least sit there while somebody does something with the kids. Please, please, we should have a waiting list of senior adults willing to serve in some capacity in our church. Don't ever tell me, let the next generation do it. Get after it. Serve faithfully to your last dying breath and enjoy the goodness of God. Okay, would you do that? That's what I plan on doing. I'm not quitting. I don't want you to quit either, okay? I love y'all very much, and I'm proud of y'all for what you do. Thank you.